Welcome to MCC from the Capitol, a podcast produced by the Missouri Catholic Conference. We invite you to listen along as our host and executive director, Tyler McClay, chats with experts about public policy issues from a Catholic perspective. We hope you enjoyed this episode of MCC from the Capitol. Well, welcome to the Missouri Catholic Conference from the Capitol podcast, where we take a deeper look at the social and political issues facing Missouri and the Catholic Church and how those issues impact public policy. My name is Tyler McClay, and I'm the executive director of the MCC. And I'm here today with Rita Lindhart and Jamie Morris, MCC staffers, for our first ever legislative roundtable podcast. So hello, Rita and Jamie. Hello. Hello. So this is our first time doing this, and we're going to take a look at the legislative session coming up here in 2021. And, you know, it's been an interesting start to the year 2021. What a crazy week last week was. And we'll get to talk about that a little later in the podcast. But let's start by talking about the upcoming legislative session. We're recording this on uh, January the 15th, so midway through January. And this week, Governor Parson was inaugurated at the Missouri Capitol in, in what was really a peaceful and uneventful ceremony. The entire General Assembly was there. Former governors were there. It was former Governor Nixon was there. Former Governor Ashcroft, I believe, was there. Obviously, members of the Supreme Court, former Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder was there. You know, the governor was sworn in. Attorney General uh, Eric Schmidt was sworn in. Jay Ashcroft was sworn in. Nicole Galloway wasn't, didn't have an election. She was running for governor, but she didn't have a separate election for oh, Mike. auditor. Mike Keogh was sworn in. Yeah, Mike Keogh. So everyone was sworn in. And after what happened the week before in Washington, it was a pretty, pretty uneventful. Mm-hmm. There was a speech given by Gary Kramer, who's a historian, and he gave a little history about Missouri, given that this is our 200th anniversary. So it, it was a pretty nice event. And Bishop McKnight of the Diocese of Jefferson City offered the benediction and did a very nice job. So all good. And and the election, you know, going back to the election, of course, the results, not much really changed in Missouri in terms of the makeup of the General Assembly. The House still has 114 Republicans and 48 Democrats, and there's one vacant seat. And then the Senate has 24 Republicans and 10 Democrats, and that's really unchanged from last year. So a little bit surprising to me. I don't know if you guys, too. I mean, there was we were kind of expecting a blue wave and some maybe some changes but we didn't see any, at least in Missouri. Yeah, I think there was kind of a feeling that in the state and even nationwide, there'd be a little bit more of a blue wave than I think really ended up happening. You know, I know that there were some close seats in the Senate that uh, we had kind of thought maybe would flip, and it seems like status quo so far. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it, it was like, you know, each side came out for their prospective candidates, and, you know, it was really, you know, a good turnout. Good turnout for the electorate. For a, lot of, yeah. a lot of people came out to vote. And, um, you know, there were, like Jamie said, there were a few seats that we were watching and the Senate thought that they might flip and, and they mm-hmm. didn't. So in, in suburban St. Louis, mm-hmm. which some of those areas were, you know, changing in terms of their politics, but not much really changed. Also, last week, the Missouri House Speaker kind of laid out his priorities for the session. And one of those is education. 
he made the comment that he was adopted and struggled in his education as a young as a young man and young boy even and had a teacher that really kind of took him under his wing and helped him and helped him find a way forward and so he really wants to see some changes in education and so that will be interesting to see how that goes he also because he's adopted wants to see some reform of the way adoptions are done and, and foster care. And I think really more than anything wants to encourage people to foster and to adopt. And so there's some bills that would allow tax credits for adults who adopt and foster children that are currently in the system. And he also talked about election integrity, which is obviously a big issue right now, but unclear exactly what that will mean in terms of what kind of bill we'll see on that. And then also he mentioned providing businesses with protection from liability for COVID. And so the Senate actually is going to hear some bills next week on that issue. So we'll see how that goes. But that was something they talked about doing over the summer during the special session, but just never got done. So, And then, of course, we have the budget issues, <laughs> which will be interesting. You know, last week, I think it was Caleb Browden, who's the floor leader of the Senate, and a senator from Columbia, also a sort of a close race that he had up in Columbia uh, for that Senate seat. He ended up winning it by not a huge margin, but he nevertheless won the seat. He said that given the infusion of money from the feds with these COVID relief bills, that the bigger concern for the budget really is going to be fiscal year 2023, which would be next year. This year, it looks like they might be in fairly good shape, although we'll see how that plays out in terms of the actual numbers and what programs face challenges going forward. But budget's always an interesting process anyway. It's it's the one thing that the legislature has to get done every year. They have to do it. They have to balance the budget. So it's always a challenge for them to do that. And competing over various priorities is always the big question of the day towards the end of the session when they start making those final decisions. So when we look at the Missouri Catholic Conference priorities, let's talk about that a little bit. Maybe we can talk about some of the things that we think we'll be working on based on the bills that have already been filed. So maybe, Jamie, looking at the pro-life you know, areas, what do you think might be things we could be working on? Uh, probably first and foremost, I would say uh, we'll have, well, and I know we've had a bill filed on the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. Uh, that's one that would try to give rights to those children who are um, born after an attempted abortion. That was one that has been filed the last couple of years and honestly was one of the few pro-life measures that was heard in committee before everything kind of went haywire last session with COVID and and the schedule getting upended. So I, I suspect that will be back on the agenda. I would also suspect that we will have various legislation dealing with the hoarding of, of body parts, kind of like what we've seen as a result of some of these uh, abortion doctors that have been in the news in the last few years. But, you know, some of the usual stuff that we defend against as well, whether, you know, it'd be trying to strip away some of the state product protections we've already put into place. Obviously, we'll be keeping an eye on those. Although with the makeup of the General Assembly, those aren't typically much of a concern. And then, as you said, with the budget, I think the other thing will be, you know, always keeping an eye on tax credits for pregnancy resource centers and making sure that some of our alternative to a abortion 
programs, that those continue to be funded, even in these sort of tight budget times. Yeah, those are always the challenges, right? To get those programs funded, like tax credits for pregnancy resource Mm -hmm. centers and that kind of thing. And I know the the hoarding bill sort of comes out of that whole incident in Indiana where that doctor's office was found with all those aborted fetuses in places in his garage and such. Pretty awful. That bill never has really gotten traction yet, but I think that's one that will be one we'll be working on going forward. And Rita, on the death penalty, what do you see on the horizon? Well, for... the main bill there is judicial override. And that is when in a death penalty case, when you have the conviction and then you have the sentencing. And if the jury comes back deadlocked on the sentencing, right now, Missouri law says that a judge can either give death penalty or give life without parole. And we've had two instances where judges have given the death penalty. And so judicial override would take that ability away from him and just leave it at life without parole if the jury is deadlocked. Right. So if the jury can't decide on Mm -hmm. giving death, we're kind of saying the judge shouldn't be able to override that. Right. Right. So that's what we would like to see right now. The judge can override the jury. Usually in a death case, Rita, isn't it true? Like the jury's the one that makes that decision typically, right? Right. Typically. Right. And, and I think, and knowing most judges, they don't want any part of making that decision. Right. Well, a lot of times it comes down to whether or not they you know, want to run for a higher office or something like that. And they like a, you know, to be tough on crime sort of thing. And also what they feel the constituents would want. Hmm. Yeah, I can see there being community pressure in, a, in areas of certain parts of the state that maybe the judge would want to override the jury. Right. But, you know. In a death case, usually it's 12 jurors, right? right? So, you know, we, our argument kind of is that, look, if it's 12 people, those are 12 heads thinking about this. And if they can't come to an agreement, 100 percent, the judge shouldn't override that. So that's been kind of our argument Mm -hmm. on that. That's something we've been working on for a couple of years. And then let's see, looking at advancing social and economic justice, there's been some things we've been working on in that area, too. Rita, you want to talk about work requirements? All right. Well, work requirements for food stamps, which, you know, it says that if you are eligible for food stamps, you need to be able to work for it. And we were opposed to that because we feel like, you know, food is food and you should be able to get food whenever you need it. And a lot of times, you know, if the parent of the family is not able to meet the work requirements, he's taken out of the equation. He doesn't get any money, but that just means a smaller amount of food to go around for the whole family. Right. And a lot of those bills, the way they're filed, it would actually be a whole family penalty. So if the adult isn't working Mm -hmm. and doesn't meet those requirements, then the whole family loses their food stamps. So that would impact on the kids. And we felt like that was unjust to take the food away from the children because of maybe the bad acts of the parent. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's been a challenge there. And, And we've also been working to support the low income housing tax credit, which would help encourage developers to build housing for low-income folks. And in a lot of parts of our state, it's just housing is really hard to come by if you're low-income. That tax credit, actually, the Missouri Housing Development Commission has just reinstituted that tax credit. And so it's hoped that I think the legislature has a bill that they're maybe going to codify that or try to get it into the statute. So that's been one we've been supporting. In terms of defending religious liberty, Missouri's a big Second Amendment state, you know, and, and every year there's, it seems like there's more and more bills to protect the rights of gun owners. And one of the areas we've been concerned with is concealed carry permits, 
you know, allowing people to bring guns into churches. And currently, you know, you're not allowed to bring a gun into a church if you have a concealed carry permit, unless you have permission of the pastor. And so we kind of like that. We kind of like it being like that. They want to change it so that you could still prohibit guns on your premises, but you'd have to put up a sign. We just don't like having to put up signs in our sacred space. And that's kind of been our argument on that. We'll see if we can keep fighting that. That's been a challenge for us. Supporting educational opportunities. We talked about that at the beginning. That's one of the priorities for the House Speaker. And we've been working on education scholarship accounts for years, trying to get more scholarships available for kids to attend private school. And those are some bills that are out there to try to create tax credits for people that make donations to institutions that then offer scholarships to students so that they can attend private schools. And it's not a voucher, but it's a tax credit and it's a scholarship. But the public school lobby is very strong in Missouri, and those are bills that are hard to pass. We'll see how successful we are with that again this year. And then, of course, we're always working on criminal justice reform. And Rita, do you have any thoughts on maybe what bill might take the lead there? Well, this year, I think it's time for the elder parole bill to pass. This is a bill where people who are over 65, who spent at least 30 years in prison, they could be eligible for parole. And it's a very narrow band of people. It's those people who in 1984 were given a life without parole where they had to serve 50 years before they got parole. And so it it affects those people and it's a small group of people. And so we think that this is doable. Last year, it seemed like it went through the house and got stuck at the end because of the COVID stuff. So we're really hopeful that this will pass this year. Well, that would be great. And and so those are just some of the bills that we expect to be working on this year. I mean, there's there's a lot more. And if you're listening to this podcast and you are interested in any of these issues, we'd love to hear from you. We typically send out some action alerts throughout the course of the session asking you to contact your legislators. But if there's a bill that you're interested in working on, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. You can email us or call us on, in the office here and We'd love to talk to you about it. You know, obviously with the Biden administration coming in, there might be other issues we're going to be pulled into. We expect there'll be some challenges there in different areas. You know, regardless of who's in power, it seems like the church is always a voice of opposition on something. (laughs) Obviously a voice of support for certain things, but a voice of opposition on others. And so we're always engaged at some level in dealing with those issues along with other states as we try to promote Catholic values in the public square. You know, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about today was the COVID vaccine rollout. You know, that's progressing, and I'm sure most of people on the listening have seen the governor announcing the next phase of the rollout going on now. So, so, so next week, people that are over 65 or have medical conditions that put them at risk for COVID would be able to get the vaccine when it's available. So they're opening up the door. And that's a big group of folks. That's probably over 2 million people in Missouri that are now going to be eligible to get the vaccine next week. So hopefully the doses will come through and uh, we can get that going. But we're actually working on a podcast and, and I'll be working on that in the next couple of weeks to sort of outline some of the medical and ethical concerns with the vaccine. So 
check back with us on that. We'll also be putting out some information in the DAS and newspapers about the vaccines, really just to try to educate people and sort of take away some of the mystery behind these new vaccines, because there's a lot of information that's out there and a lot of misinformation that's out there as well. So we're going to try to address some of that. I said we would talk at the end of the podcast about what happened last week at the Capitol. And I and I, I kind of hesitate even to wade into this because, you know, everybody has an opinion about it. And but but I think, you know, just obviously we, we all know what happened, but the House, you know, voted to impeach President Trump based on inciting an insurrection. And it's at this point, it's really unclear what the Senate is going to do. One of the questions I have is once the inauguration happens, you know, the Senate will change and we'll have 50 Republicans and 50 Democrats. And so because Kamala Harris would offer the tie-breaking vote, then the Democrats would shift to being the majority in the Senate. So Chuck Schumer would take over the role of the majority leader in the U.S. Senate. And so it will no longer be Mitch McConnell. And I, I mean, I, I'm guessing it would be Schumer that would take the lead on this since McConnell would no longer be president or leader of the Senate. But I just don't know what the Senate's going to do. And, and certainly I would think Schumer would go forward with it. But the question is, what are people going to do? How are they going to vote? How many votes would they need? I think they would need two thirds, but I'm not even sure about that. But at any rate, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I do think there is an important lesson, and, and I welcome your thoughts on this, guys, about there's been a lot of political rhetoric in the last four, well, more than that. I mean, there's always political rhetoric, but it seems like it's been ramping up in the last four to eight years. And I think if anything, what happened at the Capitol is sort of accentuates the dangers of political rhetoric. That's kind of the lesson I take from it. In politics, it's an emotional game. People get very emotional about their politics like they do their religion. And rhetoric can really mislead people and in good ways and in bad ways. I mean, mostly, frankly, bad, I think, when we're talking about rhetoric, because rhetoric tends to be emotional speech and sometimes speech that kind of is at the edge of the truth. <laughs> there may be kernels of truth in it, but it's not always 100% true. And it's and in, in some ways, rhetoric is intended to incite an emotional response, not necessarily incite violence, but when you incite an emotional response and depending on who's listening, you know, it, it can result in um, behavior that maybe is people wouldn't otherwise do. And I think even some of the protesters that were caught in the Capitol said, you know, I got carried away. It was that it was one guy that was hanging from the, the wall of the Senate inside the Senate chamber, hanging from the gallery, like one handed hanging down <laughs> And he was like saying later, oh, man, I got I just got caught up in the moment, you know. Which anyway. When you're in that sort of situation might be a tad understated, uh, <laughs> I believe, when you're hanging from the gallery of the Senate. Right. Yeah. Anyway, thoughts, Jamie? No, I mean, I, I think you're right. I, I think this is something that's been boiling up for the last four years, you know, and, and we've seen it. We, we've seen it sort of with Antifa, with this view of, you know, how to address the other side and, and, and sort of 
trying to resort to, to violence to meet your end. And then on the flip side, as, as we saw last week, tragically, you know, there are consequences to what people say and what politicians say. And quite honestly, you know, with tensions as high as they've been, you know, uh, around the election, you know, when, when you tell a significant number of folks that their country is being taken from them and the election is stolen, obviously the blame lies with the individual that takes the specific action, but I, I, you can't, you can't ignore it and you can't really minimize, you know, those that were involved either kind of trying to spread this view, you know, as we said, when you say that your country is being taken from you, for some, the logical conclusion, of course, is going to be trying to storm the Capitol and, and, to, and to take back the country back by force. And so words matter. Um, and, and hopefully this will be a little bit of a wake up call to tone down the rhetoric. Uh, you know, this politics is war. Maybe it's time to kind of calm that down just a bit. Well, I think, as Abraham Lincoln said about his opponents, you are my opponents, not my enemies. And so I think we need to take that into consideration when we hear this rhetoric, because it just is not healthy. Uh, and we become so tribal in what we want to hear that it kind of defeats the purpose of listening and being cooperative about what's going on. And I think, too, that the rhetoric is one thing, but we had all these online things where conspiracy theories are spreading and both sides. And, you know, it's just kind of like, what are we, what's really true? What are we supposed to be listening to? And so it's kind of a mixed bag and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, the session, the Senate, if they do end up having a trial, the trial is Mm -hmm. going to be about what did the president say when, Mm -hmm. and the specific words that were said and not just the words that were said, but the context of when they were said, if you look at the whole picture, you know, you have the day that the Congress is meeting to accept the votes of the electors. You have then this president giving a speech on at, at the Capitol Mall. So that's all going to play. And I think that's kind of being going to be the focus of whatever trial they have. I think that's how it's going to be focused. And Rita, I think you're right. I mean, if you look at our current political discourse, you know, it's not uncommon to hear people referring to other Americans that are in the opposite party as the enemy. That's a really bad precedent. And I mean, if you look at Rwanda and I mean, I heard once a speaker who survived the Rwandan genocide and she happened to be in the minority tribe. She was hidden in another person's house. And before that all happened, the radio waves started getting filled with people talking about the opposite tribe as being rodents and being less than human. And I, we're not talking anywhere near that kind of rhetoric, but boy, we're getting pretty close. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really kind of dangerous and it can lead to really horrible things. I mean, we're certainly, if you look at the 20th century, you know, human beings are capable of doing pretty awful things and we have to be very careful. It's a very slippery slope, I think. I mean, I, that may be overstating things, but I think it's something that we need to keep, keep an eye on, be mindful of. Right. So... And I think, you know, for those of us that are in politics and, and work in that, and even just your general public that have an interest in politics, I think it's, I'm hopeful that it'll be a time for, for folks to kind of maybe reevaluate the role of politics in their life. And I get what I mean by that is, you know, what I'm seeing now so much is 
Well, I mean, let me just take this example. You can't really talk about, say, Antifa without someone saying, well, do you condemn what happened at the Capitol? Or you can't kind of be critical of those that stormed the Capitol without someone coming back. Well, you know, where were you on Antifa? And I, and I think it's just kind of this reaction that some of us have that want to go back to our political tribe that even in a situation such as, you know, what happened last week where there was just terrible political violence, there's still sort of that draw to go back and defend, quote unquote, your side. And and a lot of that is just borne out again in our political rhetoric and kind of viewing that as such a high priority of we have to defend our team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe hopefully that this will be an opportunity again, just to kind of step back and and realize that we should be able to talk about these issues without getting defensive. And that seems like kind of a common sense take, but at the same time, I, I just think that has not helped the discourse either. But I think the danger, you know, when the danger of the Capitol was really there and the legislators, they weren't tribal then, they were all huddled together for their own security. Yes. And so it points to me that when it really comes down to it, you know, we can forget about tribes and all be human beings for the change. Yes. Right. And I think we need to get back to that. And it's kind of my hope that somehow something good will come of this, that people will realize the dangers in rhetoric and that kind of tribalism. And obviously, you know, within our Catholic tradition, there is time to reflect what's going on and, you know, doing sort of an examination of conscience, I guess, is what I'm getting at. So individually, we need to do that, not just individually, but maybe even as a country and as maybe even as groups, we need to kind of be introspective about what's really going on. What are we really promoting? What are we really standing for? And hopefully, you know, we're standing for the common good and what's best for the nation as a whole, as opposed to just individually what what's best for me. So anyway, that's it for today's podcast. I appreciate you listening. And um, as I mentioned, we'll be putting together a podcast on the vaccine issue and I keep an eye out for that. And until then, we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of MCC from the Capitol. To hear more from the Missouri Catholic Conference, visit our website at mocatholic.org. That's mocatholic.org. Or subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. 